I've got all these flashing lights here in front of me, Barker. You know? And, uh... But the one that allowed me to speak was not on. Maybe that's that's not an auspicious start for the show. Maybe they're trying to say something. Maybe I'll just let you do it today. How about that? It's Baseball Central with Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker. Well, how would that be any different than the other day? Can you just hey, can you just do me? Can you just rub my back right there? Oh yeah, from carrying the team. I get you. Uh, it is the biggest series of the year for the. What are you, That's you're like the 40th for time the you've Blue said Jays? that this year. No, this is the this is the biggest series of the year for the Blue Jays. They got four games against the Boston Red Sox. The Sox are kind of scuffling a little bit right now. Uh, lost four in a row. Is this the first time this year they've lost? The Red Sox? Yeah. Yep. First time this year they've lost four in a row. And um, one and six in their last seven. Yeah. And I mean they've stopped. They they've frankly they they've stopped hitting and. Uh, you know, if you look at that lineup, Kevin, um, I've got to think at some point they'll start hitting again because it's a, it's a it's a pretty good it's a pretty good lineup. But we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the Red Sox and again first pitch tonight seven oh seven. It is a four game series split doubleheader tomorrow. Alec Manoa on the mound tonight against Nathan Yavaldi tomorrow. Boy, the Jays have got this. You could not line this no. up any better if you were Charlie Montoyo. Robbie Ray against Nick Pavetta in Game One tomorrow. Saturday, game two, Jose Barrios against Tanner Houck, who is their uh, one of their top pitching prospects. And then Sunday, uh, Hyunjin Ryu against Garrett Richards. You Three could... out of four, right there. That's what it sounds like to me. You? Better be. Huh. Rob Bradford, who covers the Red Sox for WEEI, joins us uh, at 5.30. He had an interesting article on the website today. Uh, Alex Cora... Alex Cora sounding like a manager is not not overly concerned, but you know he knows he's getting Chris Sale back next week and Kyle Schwarber. Um, but there, there was a little disappointed, I think, at how flat his team has. Yeah, become. and also they didn't do anything to trade the deadline. No, well, no Kyle Schwarber, no, no offense, but he hasn't played. He's still hurt. Correct. When Correct. he comes back, yeah. it doesn't. Help the, right. the issues that they're having. Now, obviously, their offense, Bogarts is a little banged up. J.D. Martinez is 8 for 51 in his last 13 games. That's something, you know, that everybody goes through little slumps at certain times. Their rotation hasn't been the greatest. Their, their bullpen's been really good. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Yesterday, I think, what really upset Alex Cord, they were really sloppy yesterday in the outfield. They, they were really sloppy. And their outfield defense has been one of their one of their calling points this year. It's been It's been pretty good. So... Um, that's, uh, anyhow, that's, as I said, we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk to Rob Bradford about that. Six o'clock, Mark Shapiro joins us. He's a Blue Jays president and CEO, obviously Ben Wagner at 635 to take you right up to first pitch 707 tonight at the Rogers Center. 590-590 is the text line. We are on for two hours. We are your Blue Jays pregame show. Last night, the Jays made it three in a row, beat Cleveland three nothing. Uh, we'll talk about Adam Simber closing it out in a few minutes. But Ross Stripling, Kevin Bark, we talked about how at some point, at some point next week, the Jays are going to go back to a five-man rotation. And we have sort of, I mean, by process of elimination, you would say that at least for now, it's going to come down to Steven Matz or Ross Stripling. One of them will likely go in the bullpen. Stripling has done it before. Matz hasn't. 
Matt's in his last start was really good. Last night, Ross Stripling, six innings pitched, six strikeouts, one walk, three hits. I mean, this, this rotation since the All-Star break has been lights out. We spent a lot of time, though, talking about Ross Stripling and Hyunjin Ryu. I think we were focusing on them in particular as guys who just didn't look comfortable in Dunedin. Mm-hmm. And Buffalo, more so Dunedin. But we know that Ross talked about the weather in Dunedin, the wind. And, and I mean, there's no, there are no, there's really no breaks. It's a triple A or a, a single A park. The wind blows through there. It blows through. There's not a whole hell of a lot breaking it up. Ross Stripling, of course, started the first game here uh, when the Jays returned to Toronto. But, Bark, you made the point like a month and a half ago that you thought Ross Stripling was the guy who, and, and Ryu, yep. were the two guys, the two pitchers, that once they got here, their stuff was going to play better. I mean, Robbie Ray's stuff is going to play on Mars. You know, wherever you put it, it's going to play on Mars. So, Ross Stripling was asked after last night's game, six innings, three hits, six strikeouts, one walk. He was asked that very question about coming to Toronto, pitching in a major league ballpark, what impact that has had on him both mentally, but more importantly, what tangible impacts it has made on his pitches. This was his answer. A couple of times in Dunedin, especially, uh, and even in Buffalo, like I remember I threw, uh, to, well, I was facing the Orioles to righties where away isn't necessarily safe and in is the better place to go. We wouldn't go in. We would stay away, even knowing that the scouting report kind of dictated otherwise. And I specifically remember a pitch to Mountcastle, all at bat. I'm working away, away, away to him. And I throw a ball in off, and he pulls it at like 90 degrees off the bat, and it goes for a homer. You know, and I'm just kind of like, dang, I knew not to do that. And I did it, and he punished me for it. So, yeah, you 100% knew the ballpark, knew the conditions. And, you know, me as a guy that kind of listens to the scouting report, knows the scouting report, and can throw any pitch any time, um, you know, I cho- I chose to treat that as a factor of, of how I was going to attack a lineup. And just how much different is that here or maybe a non-factor here? Yeah, I haven't thought about it at all. Not uh, not one bit. You know, even uh, I pitched the first one not really knowing the conditions of the field but understanding it was a big league ballpark, and I got five games to watch, and I'll pitch today. Didn't, didn't think about that remotely. Went out there and, and pitched my strengths, you know, with the scouting report and, and didn't even think about conditions. So there you go, Bark. That gets to the point. Now he's talking more about the balls that we're getting out that that aren't getting out here. But also, you, I mean, it's it's clearly clearly affected his game plan. Yeah. Well, to, to further that point too, he threw 19 sliders last night. He threw 22 changeups. He threw 10 knuckle curves. That the rest were four seamers. It's you know getting a little bit in, in depth more with what he was saying. There is he can attack with not only his weakness, but with the pitch that I mm-hmm. want to throw because whatever reason the wind's blowing. Well, it's a neutral, it's, it's neutral. Gotta, it's a neutral setting more yeah, or less. Yeah, right? yeah. Line to line at the Rogers Center, you got to get it. If you get it, it's a homer. If you don't get it, it's probably not a homer. Right. It's an out, those kind of things. You live to fight another day. He can attack the zone a little bit more. He also said in, in that little Zoom thing there that he was physically strong, strongest he's been all season, which is a little odd for him to say all he's been through the mental part of it, all the things he just mentioned there that he was trying to take care of and him being physically strong is a big deal. And he also said that Pete Walker being Pete Walker had noticed something. What did he call it? A Pete Walker special or something like that? And in the video work that he was seeing that he was going too fast down the slope that he needed to stay 
on his back leg more over the rubber to gather a little bit more. And you could tell yesterday velocity was up. He was saying that was probably the reason why. Okay. How would that, how would that make the velocity better? Just well, because more he, of your lower body you, is going into the pitch. You are, when you go through whatever you're going through, whether it's in the stretch, it's in the windup, you want to have a great foundation. Right. And if you're in a hurry with it, your, your arm tends to try and catch up. You don't throw it where you ultimately want to throw it. It's not as hard as you can throw it. And it's, you know, it's, again, hitting is just like pitching. It's you, if you don't have a good foundation, you're not within your base and you can't feel the weight on the inside of your knees instead of always feeling it on the outside of your knees, that tends to get you off a little, you know, whack and and you're trying to catch up with other parts of your body. You don't throw it where you want to throw it. And, you know, and again, his changeup, he mentioned that too, that last night he could throw it early in counts. He would throw it in middle counts. He would throw it later in counts. He could put you away with it. Uh, he could get ahead with it. He could, you know, even counts. He could use it to to get back into leverage counts and those kind of things. He was really good last we, night. Uh, we have a little bit of uh, breaking news here, and this will have an impact on the American League wildcard race. Ramon Laureano of the Oakland Athletics has been suspended for 80 games. Wow. For PED use. And as I look at the standings right now, so just hold your thought, Bark. We'll go back to it because I'll, I'll do the standings right now. Oakland is uh, they are in the second wild card spot right now. The Jays are effectively chasing them. Seattle's three and a half out of that spot. The Jays are two and a half out of that spot. The Jays are six and a half back of the American League East leaders. That is Tampa Bay. Boston's one and a half games back. The Yankees are five and a half back. Jays and Yankees both eight and two. They've both won three games in a row. The Yankees are in Seattle tonight. We mentioned the Jays first of four against the Boston Red Sox. Tampa Bay is in Baltimore, and that's that's probably all you need to know for the AL wild card. Seattle, uh, as I mentioned, three and a half out of the wild card. They're seven and a half back in their division. It, it, it's, it's weird. That division is, it seems, it, Houston's just so good. It, it, it seems like it should be closer, but it isn't. Uh, and, and the big thing, Houston's run differential is 148. Uh, Oakland's is 46. So there you go. That is uh, that is a little bit of break news, and that that is significant. Yeah, how, how dumb you got to be in 2021 with the way Major League Baseball has cracked down on all those things to even try and get away with anything. Now I have no idea what the circumstances right. are, and I'm sure, I'm we'll sure it'll be. That, how, how stupid yeah. do you have to be to even try? I mean, I'm sure really? I'm sure we'll hear that it's some sort of tainted uh, nutritional site. And the thing is, that there's there really isn't there really is no excuse now because there's they, not. Because the team supplies you the stuff. I, I There's just no excuse. Uh, it, I'm sorry. There's no excuse for it. I played winter ball 15 years in a row. I knew exactly what I was putting in my body every single time I went to winter ball. Every yeah. single time. And I and I had to go to odd places to eat and do whatever. So the excuses that they make yeah. that they go to GNC and drink something. Come I really. I, yeah. I'm not, Again, I don't, we have no idea because this is the first we've heard That's, of this. Yeah. But really. But, yeah. Come That's, on. It does. Good for the Jays. <laughs> like. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I hate to say it that way, but you know, it's uh, yeah. Anyhow, that's uh, that is where we are with that. Bo Bichette had all three RBI last night in the Jays three nothing win. He had a two run homer. He had an RBI single. Let's go over those numbers we were talking about before uh, before we got in the air. Because if you if you're seeing Nathan Yavaldi tonight, you're going to see fastballs. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see very, very good fastballs. But 
Well, Nathan Uvalde, what righties are hitting 270 off him? Yeah, it's odd, right? Got a really good curveball. They're hitting under 200 against the curveball. But 270 like, in the like, fastball. It's like you said, he averages 97 miles an hour. That That's top 10 in average of fastball. Uh, and it, that's why he gets a lot of low exit velocity off the bat is because he can manipulate that, throw it away, elevate it, throw it in. He's really good with his fastball. But then you start digging in, and, and righties are hitting 270 against him. It's, it's just it's a little odd for a guy that can maintain velocity the way he is, can use it in all parts or all quadrants in the strike zone. And if I'm a right-handed hitter, Mm-hmm. And I got to go up and face that. And then you face the breaking ball that he's got and, and the, all the other secondary pitches that he got. It's a little odd. But it's going to be a good right matchup for him to see if he can work through the George Springer right out the gate with, you know, they, they've got a book on Nathan. If mm-hmm. I know these stats, so does the lineup for the Blue Jays. And it's not going to be as easy. He's going to have to have his great stuff right out the gate, which is the point of putting George Springer in the leadoff spot. And then you have to worry about everybody else that's in that lineup. But yeah, I, I was with you. You started this show by saying it's all lined up for the Blue Jays. Their rotation's good. Their bullpen, for the most part, rested. The guys that matter, that are going to get the ball when it matters, are all rested. Their lineup is exactly the way they want it with George Springer leading off. For me, they got no excuses. Right. For me, right now, the Blue Jays are a better team. Now it's time for them to go out and show it. He had, by the way, he had his uh, gave up a season-high six runs in his last start Saturday against the Rays. Um yeah, he's allowed 14 runs over right. his last four starts. So you, that would tell you a little bit. Sometimes also some of that up multiple home runs because of the way game. he, as hard as he throws in the secondary pitches, some of that is bad luck. But sometimes if you read that stat, that'll tell you maybe he's not locating like he has. He's falling behind in counts. When you fall behind a guy throwing this hard, now you can guess along with him, educated guess on when he's throwing his fastball and you can get it geared up to get to hit it. The reason I mentioned that after talking about Bo is you have some numbers from Bo against the fastball. And, of course, Bo's moved into the cleanup spot, and uh, Bo is enjoying life out of the cleanup spot, uh, to say to say the least. He is uh, his 20th home run last night. Um, he's got 76 RBI, leads Major League shortstops, scored 84 runs, most in baseball. Yeah. Well, I was I was listening but, to him after the game last night. When I when I watch him play, he's he's, he's a special player. He's a special hitter. He can do things that most people can't. But you think there's another? Yeah, what well, we always talk about what's the ceiling? Well, we, with these guys, and you start digging into their numbers because yeah, I'm a little jealous. I used to try and hit baseballs and to watch kids do the things. And these guys are kids. Vladdy and Bo are kids. They're still learning on how to just complete an entire season and be really good consistently through that marathon and that kind of thing, and then you start digging into his numbers, just read some things off. Versus lefties, he's hitting 333. Versus righties, he's hitting 281. Now he's faced a lot more righties than mm-hmm. lefties. That's why that number's a little different. Why they moved him into the cleanup spot. Scoring Runners in scoring position, he's hitting 388. Batting fourth, he's hitting 326. Now you start digging a little bit more, 59% of the batted balls that he hits are up the middle. And the reason why I said the 59% is I was listening to Hazel may give her little walk-off thing. And he was talking about, you know, I was trying to time up the sliders. I saw three in a row. I can get my timing down on that mm-hmm. with the leg kick. And so I can go back leg city that allows me to create backspin and all those kind of things. And then you hear him on the MLB network. I flipped over and just so happens he was talking. And the first thing out of his mouth was, is somebody over there asking him, what does he do to prepare for games every single day? And he went a little old school on, 
on his answer. He said, I used to tee a lot. And I said, man, not a lot of people used to tee a lot. I used to use that because I wanted a level bat path mm -hmm. and I wanted to get to my finish. And that's what the tee does is, you know, it levels it out which he wants to get the back elbow dropped and set the angle quickly, getting the barrel in the hitting zone. But to keep it in it, that's why he uses the tee. And that's why I, I was looking up the stats and I saw that 59% batted balls up the middle. We'll tell you that it's starting to translate. So he's basically, what he's doing is he, we use the word locked, the phrase locked in a lot. That's basically he's what he's trying doing. to keep by, himself locked in. Right. That's what the tee does. The level or your swing is throughout the entire part of your swing, right? He's a big get it in as quick as you possibly can and keep it in there right. as long as you can. And that's why you see the big giant finish that he has because he's trying to do that. And what the finish does is it creates loft and gets the ball in the air. So he tries to level it out. And then when he gets to it, he tries to finish it with the barrel above his helmet to get the ball in the air. But then you start digging a little bit more about what the ceiling is. And this is what we were talking right, about. Before. Charlie mentioned he thinks he could win a batting title. And I, you know, and I throwing that out, I threw that out a year ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he walks enough, frankly, that's an important component of winning a battle tight batting title is walking. It's really hard to hit your way yeah. to a batting title, but there's something else you notice. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of ways that I, that I think Now, this is different. People look at good hitters in different ways, right. but the first one I look at is, Average against the fastball and slugging percentage against the fastball. And then you start looking at that players that are similar to Bo. Right. The American League, I always talk about Xander Bogarts. We're mm -hmm. going to see him here tonight. Average against the fastball this year, 337. This is Xander Bogarts. It is. Okay. Slugging percentage against the fastball. This is against the fastball. Against the fastball is 591. Right. Then you look in the National League. The right. young guy that plays for the San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., now, he's hurt, obviously. He's got about mm -hmm. 110 less at-bats than Bo does. Average against the fastball, 341. Slugging percentage against the fastball, 787. Right. Now, that's like next-level kind yeah. of stuff, right? And then you start digging into Bo's, and this is where you get what can his ceiling be. Can he go to the next level? Average against the fastball, 281. Slugging percentage against the fastball, 438. Just that little mm -hmm. difference between... Even Tatis Jr., the 787 slugging to the 438 slugging, how can he take it to the next level and maybe be a consistent 30, 30, 90 guy as a shortstop? Do you have Vladdy for comparison? I do. Vladdy's uh, uh, average against fastball is 378, slugging <laughs> against the fastball is 718. Yeah. So that just shows what you're talking exactly about. Exactly right. Every For me, every good hitter always, you talk to him. You get them in a room, you start talking about mechanics and what they're looking for when they walk to the plate. They all say the same thing right out the gate. Ready to hit the fastball. The more fastballs I hit, the more hanging breaking balls I get because pitchers get a little skittish. They start aiming mm -hmm. the ball. When they aim, they tend to not break the, the breaking ball off as much. They don't get as much extension. I just thought these were little funny stats that Bo could just had a really good season. But what is the ceiling? Even if he added another 20 points, say that's 300, and he added another 150 points slugging to the fastball. Now you're talking more backspin, more doubles, more line-to-line -line kind of things, and now you're talking about that consistent 30, 30, 90 player that everybody wants. And you add that to Vladdy, you got something cooking for the next five years.
We will take a deeper dive into the Blue Jays' bullpen, but uh, when we come back, Rob Bradford, who covers the Red Sox for WEEI in Boston. He's also done a stint in the booth. As a matter of fact, I think he might be in the booth tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Rob Bradford joins us next. This is Baseball Central. Seven oh seven is the first pitch at the Rogers Center. Here is your Blue Jays lineup for the first of four games against the Boston Red Sox. George Springer leads off. He is DHing tonight. Vladdy Jr. is at first base. Marcus Semien is at second. Bobichet's at short. Teoscar Hernandez is in right. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is in the left. Alejandro Kirk is behind the plate. Randall Grichik in center field. Ravik Valera at third base. Alec Manoa on the mound for the. Toronto Blue Jays. The Red Sox did submit their lineup, uh, but they've also made they've 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 made one move today. Um, Jaron Duran, their uh, their their well, a guy who was really impressive uh, rookie for the Boston Red Sox, has gone on the COVID nineteen related injured list. Now, according to Alex Cora. Uh, Duran has some symptoms, but has not tested positive. So this could be a similar situation to something Matt Barnes went through earlier in the week. He was on the COVID list for one day before being cleared and removed. So in other words, if you're on, you could you can go on and come off the COVID IL the next mm-hmm. day if you know if uh, if um, if you don't test positive. So. Uh, Duran's hitting 176, two home runs, five ribbies, and 557 OPS in 17 games since being called up. But he's been kind of a pain in the ass for the Blue Jays in some of the Fast. some of the games. Speed kills that uh, that uh, they have had. So um, I don't know whether or not he was in the original starting lineup today or not. Uh, we'll be joined in a few minutes by Rob Bradford of WEEI in Boston. Let me check and see if he was in the lineup. No, he was not. The Red Sox lineup then is as follows. It is Hernandez in center field. Verdugo on left. Martinez is the DH. Xander Bogarts is at short. Rafael Devers is at third base. Renfro's in right field. Gonzalez is at second. Vasquez is behind the plate. Cordero's at first, and as we mentioned Nathan Uvalde, the right-handed pitcher, is on the mound for the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox have also uh, announced that Martin Perez will move into the bullpen. Um, He has scuffled lately. Not a great surprise. Chris Sale has a rehab start Saturday, and Alex Cora has suggested that Chris Sale will be back and will be going for the Red Sox. Uh, Next week, if he missed the news a little earlier, this has an impact on the wild card race, uh, Ramon Laureano of the Oakland Athletics has been suspended for 80 games for violation of Major League Baseball's PED regulations. He sent out a release saying he doesn't know how it happened. Hmm. Uh, so that gets you all caught up as we await Rob Bradford. Um, let's talk, Kevin, uh, about the bullpen. Well, Rob's not Rob's gonna not scheduled to join us until 5.30. So let's talk a little bit about, about the Jays' bullpen before Rob comes on. Uh, last night, Adam Simber got the save. Um, Rafael Dolis was warming up beside him. My heart was up in my throat at that point in time. <laughs> Trevor Richards, Tim Mesa, they had two innings of hitless, scoreless relief. I, I think 
I mean, I'm looking at the back end of this bullpen, and it seems pretty clear that they really don't want to use Jordan Romano in back-to-back days. I think they have to because of uh, Joaquin Soria's injury. I think you at some point have to give Brad Hand another another chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to ask you, we talked about Adam Simber. We've talked about how dude doesn't give up home runs. Gets a lot of soft contact. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable at bat for guys. A flat out. Can the Jays win the American League East if Adam Simber is getting more than one save opportunity? Well, they're going to win the American League East if their starters are really good and giving you six innings, and then it simplifies it for Charlie and Petey to figure out who they're going to give the ball to, and they don't have to give the ball to as many guys. You can give it to quality over and over and over again. Yeah, you Look, if he continues to throw strikes, uh, if he has that deception that he has, he can get lefties out. You don't have to maneuver it around to make sure it's three righties or four righties in a row. You know, the fastball up and in to lefties has that little riding action. You can tell it surprises lefties. They really mm-hmm. don't know what to do with it. Do you swing at it? Do you take it? And when you're in between, you normally have a little weird swing at it like they've been swinging at but it. But can I, can I ask you this? Because we do know that there are pitchers who, how to put this delicately, if you're a manager, you don't want to overexpose them. I guess that would be the way I'd put it. Is Adam Simber the type of guy that could be overexposed? Well, maybe. Or does that? Not, or does that? Does that? It's not how hard you throw play. it. It's where you throw it, kind yeah. of thing. Well, he's right now locating. He's got a lot of confidence. You can see when he comes off the mound, he's fired up. He's ready to. He's ready to take the ball whenever Charlie gives him the ball, and he's accepted. You know, any role from the sixth inning on, he's he's ready to go. I. I just think it's it's very odd looking that he can throw strikes with a secondary pitch, something that's spinning, and he can throw it in, he can throw it away to righties and lefties from down there. It's very hard to repeat and, delivery and release the ball from the same place consistently over and over and over again and throw it where you want to throw it. And think, right now he's doing that. Wouldn't you think he'd be a guy that would be bothered by the whole substance thing? Like I don't know. I I mean yeah, I, I don't I don't I look. I've probably seen before he was with the Jays. I guarantee I've seen seen Adam Simber maybe pitch twice in my whole life. May, I don't maybe know. the difference between this year and years past for him is location. Now he's throwing it where he wants to throw it. And when you when you do that, you add and subtract the way he can and do it from where he's doing it from. Maybe they'll have to. Maybe Jordan Romano they don't think is good enough to do it. Well, that was his second career save. He had a save in September 11th, 2019. In 14 games as a Blue Jay, his ERA is 0.63. He's given up one earned run in 14 and third innings. His whip is 0.49. Struck out 11, walked one, six hits. And we mentioned, and I always hate doing this because I just kind of feel like you're jinxing the guy, but he's gone 55 consecutive yeah. innings without allowing a home run. That is the longest streak well, one, in the majors. One, I'll, give, I'll give you a question. One run lead, all things are equal. Everybody's rested, ready to go. You got three guys to pick from: Romano, Hand, Simber. Who are you giving it to? Me to the order from the other team. Hmm. All things equal. Everybody's, everybody's rested. rested. Simber. Well, you just answered your own question. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I really wanted to say Romano. 
with everybody. I'm going to take that back. Still with every no, with everybody rested, I I would go with Romano. Really, with everybody rested. You'd be okay rested. with a one-run lead yeah. against a good team in the American League East. With everybody rested, yeah. You I'm. Sound I almost confident about that. Well, I I almost I I want to say that right because. Uh, I mean, I ha- I hate saying it. I just, I just, I keep looking at Simber and I, and I keep, at, at some point that's going to stop. What if it doesn't? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, have an, I don't have an argument for that. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I'm, all I'm still. Are, all things are equal. All the numbers you just read off about Adam Simber. I like, I like swing and misguide. Uh, well, if he gets weak contact, gets rollovers, yeah, he gets a little lazy pop flies. I know one thing. Out and out. I know one thing. When he comes in the game, you're okay. I'm really relaxed. You know, we talked to Charlie and John Schneider. They said the same thing. And you, you look at his teammates, man. Yeah. You look at the plays they make behind him because he's. He get doesn't go. Get he doesn't go. He doesn't looks stick like around, happy, right? Looks like they're happy when he comes in the game. Yeah. He, well, the, the the question I just gave you. Now, I'm, I'm sure Charlie and Petey have all the stats known to man. Who can hit a breaking ball? Who can hit velocity? Who can hit different arm angles? They're they're having the same question asked them uh, that I just asked you. This might be a time. <laughs> this is such I know this is such a horrible stand on the fence statement. I wonder if Adam Simber. Remember we always talked about we talked about swing paths and we joke about it and you know guys yeah. needing the starting lineup based on swing paths and mm-hmm. matchups are no longer just lefty righty. I wonder if this isn't a swing path thing. Like if there are. If there are certain hitters it works against, certain hitters it doesn't work against. Well, all the stats you you. I mean, uh, yeah, there's not, a lot of not, people that don't, there's a lot don't of people have good swing pass. Okay, you're right. You're right. But but Some, sometimes uh, sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and say, Charlie, don't overthink it. Play the hot hand. Yeah. Right now, he's the hot hand. Well, and I like the uh, I, I like the way he is on the mound too. I like that little fist pump working. at the end. Well, it's it's working, it's working but. I said it, it's, I, I really, one of the things I really like, and, and bear with me because I'm going to talk about Roberto Osuna here, and I know people don't like, but one of the things I liked about Roberto Osuna when he was comfortable with the closers role once mm-hmm. he got his feet wet is there really was like Osuna Matata. I, it's just, I, he came in the game and it's like, okay, start writing your stories, guys, and get it ready. Sort of like Ken Giles. When he was on a roll. Yeah, it, it was done. It's this is it. This is over. Let's get our stories Nine, in because nothing's, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. And, Blue Jays um, don't have one of those. Not this year anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, should we break and come back? We got we got time? Okay. We're, uh, we'll be joined by Rob Bradford in, in, uh, in a few minutes from the Rogers Center. Oh, he is. Okay. There you go. We have Rob Bradford. Nice. Rob, how you doing, man? Always good to talk with you guys. What's going on? Well, you know, just a four-game series against the Red Sox in, in August. That's all. Biggest series of the year. It's the uh, seventh. <laughs> teams, it's I a, it, well, it's the seventh biggest series of the year yeah. for the Blue Jays. So, strangely <laughs> enough, those series are usually whenever they play the the, the, the Red Sox and the Rays. Hey, just get us caught up a little bit on, um, on, on Jaron Duran and what that situation looks like. Yeah, he's not going to be out that long. They, they, it seems like a similar situation that they went through with Matt Barnes and J.D. Martinez earlier, which was, you know, I think that they could be back within a day, honestly. 
So I don't think it's anything where you're going to be without him for a while. And, you know, and he could, he could or could not be a big part of the equation here. We haven't quite figured out Jaron Duran yet. Okay, J.D. Martinez, uh, 8 for 51 in his last 13 games of 14Ks. You seen anything different, or is it just a long season and everybody goes through it? I think everyone. I think it's a long season. Everyone goes through it. I mean, he's had some moments where in the last couple of games where he's been pretty good, hit the ball hard. Um, now, here's the thing, though, guys. I mean, these guys, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, Andrew Bogarts, they have to carry the team. I mean, yeah. they have to get hot. They, and... and, and this is much like, you know, a lot of the teams, they're built on the, the, on the foundation and those guys are the foundation. And so why you see sporadic moments here and there, you need more than that, particularly when you have the bottom of the order that's so thinned out right now. Um, and, and particularly because, as you said, it's the biggest series of the year. <laughs> yeah. Are the, what, what's uh, Xander Bogart's uh, physical situation like now, like the last time the Jays faced the Red Sox, there was, I think it was a, a, a wrist issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is, how, how does he, how does he look compared to what you would normally expect from Xander Bogarts? Cause both Barker and I, I mean, we've, we've talked about this. He's, I, you know, this isn't, doesn't necessarily mean it's just us, but I just, we both have him on like such a high plateau because I just think he's one of the really like the best players in the game. Yeah, and he's he's certainly for majority of the year is trying to be the best shortstop in the game. I don't think there's any question about it. Offensively, absolutely. Defensively, he was good enough, but he hadn't been the same guy uh, since that wrist injury. They said it's not a problem. He has shown signs recently that he's a little bit better, but is he the dynamic guy that he was early in the year? No, and I got to imagine that the wrist is part of the equation, and because he has a history with this guy, has a history with the wrist thing before. He's been good enough, but the problem, I'll come back to it. The problem is Dinner Bogarts can be just good enough, mm-hmm. but not when everyone else is, is really struggling. Mm-hmm. When, when Chris Sale gets back, is this rotation good enough to make a serious run at the American League East? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, because they've been good. I mean, you have the pieces and just good enough, maybe. Mm-hmm. But when you match up, this is why this series is so uncomfortable for the Red Sox. Because all you have to do is match up the starters against the Blue Jays starters. I mean, you guys know that the Blue Jays starters on paper and really performance, they are the most talented group in this division, maybe in the American League East, our American League. So the Red Sox, they can't stay claim to that. You know, Evaldi is their best option right now. We don't know exactly what Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be. We don't know. Chris Sale hasn't pitched in over 700 days hmm. in the major leagues. So he can't just jump to conclusions there. Nick Pavetta's been up and down. So, you know, I think and Tanner Houck is still a rookie. So I think that a lot of this is way up in the air, too much uncertainty. Can they? Absolutely. But it's, the, it's nowhere near what, what they're going to be presented with the Blue Jays. Yeah, when Kyle Schorber comes off the I.L., how does Alex Cora use him? I think that they really want him to play a lot of first base, a position that he's never played before. <laughs> so, I mean, he's he's going out, he's working out. Just you know, as, as you have to go back to the old money ball line. Money, first base isn't that difficult, right, Wash? <laughs> it's incredibly difficult, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, I think that I think that they ultimately would probably want him to play a lot of first base. But why he's learning that, they'll move him around. And, and the other part about this is. Alex Verdugo, for the more better part of the year, has been pretty good. 
But look up against lefties. He's been horrific. And and so I don't know how much you're going to ride out Alex Verdugo, no doubt about it, every single day in left field. And that might be where Schwarber factors in. You know, reading reading the articles on, on the WEEI uh, website, uh, it, it seems as if, I mean, every, every team has a game or a loss during the year where the manager, it, there's just it, something sticks in his craw. And it, it can, doesn't necessarily have to be in the biggest series of the year or anything like that. I mean, we all see it where a manager feels he has to say something extra. I just, I get the sense that, that, that Alex Cora was not happy with what he saw coming out of Detroit. Oh, oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, that's an understatement. It's, it's, you know, usually he takes the, the, the tone of tomorrow's another day. It's a mm-hmm. long season. You know, the guys will figure it out. Not yesterday. Not yesterday at all. And, and I think a part of it, he understands how big this series is. And he also understands, you know, how things are slipping away a little bit. So in, in yesterday's game, it wasn't only that they lost. They played terrible. You know, Martin Perez is getting moved to the bullpen now. He was terrible. The outfield defense was terrible. The hitting was terrible. Everything was terrible. So, you know, he sees that. It's right in front of his face. And, yeah, they have Sale coming back and Schwarber coming back and Christian Arroyo coming back, Brazier, all these guys. But, you know, at the same time, you can't, can't just say that that's going to solve their problems, and he knows that. And he'll, like, I'll come back to it. And I, I'll say it once again, the same thing you guys said. This is an enormous series, and Cora knows this. Okay, if you think if the front office had to do it over again at the trade deadline, would they have done more than Kyle Schwarber? Maybe a pitcher, maybe another bullpen arm, something like that. Yeah, I don't think they would have. I mean, no? I think that they sort of dug in on that it was a, such a seller's market that it got way too uncomfortable. So it wasn't going to be worth it to, to, you know, take a stab at Kyle Gibson or one of these other guys when, like they've said, they have, they have Chris Sale coming back and they have Tanner Houck. So there's obviously some other solutions. But they don't have the farm system that the Dodgers have or some of these other groups. So they know that. So to answer your question, Kevin, like I don't think they would have done anything different because the price just got way too uncomfortable for them. Rob, really good of you to uh, join us today. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Uh, anytime, anytime. It's going to be a fun weekend, guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see you down there. Take care. All right, see you. Rob Bradford, uh, com. Man, everything's lining up good for the Blue Jays. Just hearing him talk, the... It just, just, just seems Red like Sox. something's – I know it is. It's the Red Sox. It just seems like something's off. Something's came off the tracks. Yeah. Now, I, may, I may be way off here, and, and but they didn't – they looked like they were whipped against the Tigers. I'm going to say the same thing I said yesterday, though. It is August. Yeah. It's August. And August is a – it's a month where the, the length of the year really settles in for guys, I think. You know, September, you got the stretch drive and everybody's going. And, yeah. you know, July, you had the all-star break and everybody's refreshed out of the... And now we're... Okay, it's August. May, may, maybe, it's the, maybe the front office did could read the room and just didn't have enough minor league system to go out and do exactly was, what they wanted to do. And, I mean, there's this, this idea that they were in, in the Max Scherzer thing. And I mean, I, I have to tell you, to me, Max Scherzer made more sense for the Red Sox than he, than he made... Anthony Rizzo was the guy that I was thinking that the Red Sox would make a run at. Well, we talked about, do you think the Yankees are happy they got Anthony, Anthony yeah. Rizzo? They don't get Anthony Rizzo. They're behind the Jays right now. Yeah, the Yankees. The Yankees yeah, are yeah. behind the Jays. They're, they're, 
they are on fumes if they don't get if they don't get Anthony Rizzo. And I again, I understand everybody got excited about Joey Gallo, and that's great and everything. But Anthony Rizzo gives them something they haven't had. Just in that a boost lineup. in the room to a veteran team like the Red Sox would have been nice. They got Kyle Schwarber's a good player, yeah. but he hasn't played forever. Yeah, right. gonna be a lot to ask when he comes back. Yeah, but you know, again, I I also I also kind of see why the Red Sox wouldn't have wouldn't have gone all in in that for the first time in a while this would probably drive Red Sox fans nuts but for the first time in a while they're starting to get a little depth in their minor league system they're starting to get guys who are a little closer and you've got that big you know that big free agent class coming up now I know they got Xander Bogarts but yeah. maybe maybe they get a guy like Trevor Story or something like that and move him to another position. I just, I'm sure Heim Bloom wouldn't come out and say it, yeah. but I wonder if it, in his heart of hearts and in the back of his head, he's going. Red, so- Red Sox fans, they could hear your, see your lips moving. And all they heard was blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. the Red Sox. Like, yeah. and you're in first place and now you're not. And it's a golden opportunity. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back. We've got a big six o'clock hour, including the president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays, Mark Shapiro. We'll be back in a flash. It's Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. If I want to envision Nate Pearson coming to the big leagues, I'm hoping he comes and throws either the sixth or the seventh inning and throws 98-99. That would be great. All right, that's Charlie Montoya, the Blue Jays manager. Charlie, we'd all envision oh, that. But you know what? I want three digits. I, so do I'm I greedy. want too. I'm greedy. I had 97. I can get with authority. He I can get Jordan Romano to throw 97. I want, a, I want 101, man. I do too. I want to see it. Yeah, with just some, with some like, vinegar. Yeah, not every. Me against you, and you got no chance. I, I don't need see this. that. I don't need to see it. When you're a top prospect, I don't want to see 90. What do you say? 96, 97. I don't see 97, that. 98. I, think. I don't see that. Hundo. Why not? Me right? too. Just because. Like, I'm not saying every pitch has to be hundo. I do. M- maintain it. 20 pitches, 20 hundos. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? Come on. Was he Jacob the Grunt? Uh, not, you don't mean I mean, that. I'm pitching forever. He should be well rested. I should never have said that. That's, That's rude. He's rehabbing. He'll be. He is. I can't wait to see him. He, he should. Hopefully that happens. Because they need it. They could use the boost in the bullpen and him coming off Part doing, of doing, can, the, doing I, the things he can do. I can close my eyes and then see him closing out a game uh, in September. You could? Yeah. Well, one, well, can, well, one can dream. Given, I mean, yeah. Just, I don't, I don't well, know why, Char- man. Char- you, know, you, know Char- you know Charlie would have said, he wouldn't have said six. No, but here's the thing. Inning. Okay, let's he see. He would have said hey, eighth and ninth how, inning. But you know, so as, you ain't seeing it. You know as well as I do, right? Sometimes managers can't help themselves. Now, if if old Nate comes up and he's hitting ninety nine, maybe the odd hundred in the sixth inning, does it again in the seventh inning, does it again in the sixth inning, and you get a ninth inning situation, you don't think well, see, you don't think somebody's going to tap in the shoulder he, and go, let's. Let's say he faces the Yankees. He faced three batters and punches out two of them. You may say, Petey, <laughs> think he could do that in the ninth? Nope. Yeah, I may not get The good thing is there's a, not, there's a lot of softish games. Hey, you can close out against the Twins or something. Oh, a lot on. of softish games since September. Come on. Be optimistic. 
Be optimistic. Yeah. Be optimistic. He can do it. Mark Shapiro is president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays. He'll join us next. 707 is the first pitch tonight between the Jays and the Red Sox. We'll take you right up the first pitch with Ben Wagner, Mark Shapiro. All that ahead. It's all happening. It's Baseball Central for Friday on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Home field advantage, man. It's awesome, you know, and, and you can the players feel it. We haven't had that in two years. It's it's awesome. Well, that is Charlie Montoyo, the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, very succinctly summing up what it's been like for the Blue Jays to be home and not just for the players and the fans, frankly, for all of us. Uh, for all of us. Awesome is the the word to describe what we've seen so far in the first seven games since the Blue Jays have returned here. It's just been, um, having gone to a couple of games last weekend, it, it, it was it was a, just kind of an indescribable feeling. And, you know, I'm old and jaded. And I kind of thought, okay, you know, I saw the emotion Friday Friday night, and I thought, yeah. okay, that's fine. But then when you get down there, you go, yeah, it's it's real. And we talked about it. The, the series against the Red Sox in, in Buffalo, we we're doing the show. We came in after that one game and I said, God, that's just like, it's time. Get, get them cool home. cool to be cheered for at home. It's just got old. Yeah. Uh, it's gone really well uh, from a distance, certainly having the Blue Jays back home. And we're very pleased to be joined by uh, Mark Shapiro, president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays. Mark, thanks for making time for us today. Um, you know, as I, I said with Kevin, I think it's, pretty obvious just how how well this has gone at least from where we are I, i'm wondering have there been any any unforeseen challenges that uh that have crept up uh since you've come home or is it sort of been from your point of view as smooth as it seems to have gone from our point of view and from the player's point of view well, we are uh, well-practiced at transitions and well-practiced at, <laughs> at moving to new places. And so I, I think, you know, our operations team and our business group have done such an exceptional job at kind of creating makeshift homes out of a low-A ball stadium and and uh, an older AAA facility. So getting back home to you know, the the bricks and mortar, the home turf, our home city and our home country, that transition was one where, frankly, it involved more cleaning and protocol and getting protocols back in place than, it, than anything else. So, uh, no, I mean, putting up, putting on a game with 15,000 people in a 45,000-person mm-hmm. stadium, we, we can do that pretty well, uh, pretty quickly. And, we, and, again, I think our group is just – what they've accomplished is so exceptional, how they've made our players feel, uh, and then just, you know, really helping bridge that connection between our fans and our players. That's just been the final piece, and uh, it's been it's been fun to watch. Uh, you know, six out of seven, that's a pretty good win percentage. We'll, we'll take that every day of the week. Have there been any moments that have stood out in particular for you since this team's come come home, whether it's, I don't know, an interaction you've had with fans or, or a sponsor or, or players. Um, I, I think seeing the, a, seeing the players get back here at three in the morning, um, and almost like those kids on Christmas morning, you know, kind of, 
you don't expect major league baseball players or professional athletes, uh, particularly ones that have had to move as much as these guys have to get, you know, a little bit giddy, but, or to get excited uh, about a move, a third move and, and moving their families again, but kind of seeing them have an understanding what that could mean and kind of be excited to be home and then transitioning that into the first game uh, and watching the emotion that Charlie had um, as we were doing the pregame ceremony and the flag was being rolled out and seeing the emotion in Bo's face, you know, a young kid, but already can recognize, you know, what it, how special it is and what it means to play here. Um, and, and same with Vladdy and, and so many others. So, um, no, it's been, uh, listen, there has not been one particular moment, but that, that pregame ceremony and the players getting here alone late at night, those are probably two things that stand out. Mark, do you think uh, capacity limits will increase at the Rogers Center? And if so, how soon? Kevin, I, I, I can tell you the one thing I don't think about is any control of, uh, of what public health is doing or what the government's doing. And we've been, you know, I've spent more time on, um, you know, advocacy with, with government and government relations in the past, you know, two years than I'd ever imagined I would spend in a lifetime. And uh, I'm just glad to get back to baseball, Kevin. I hope we can just talk about that and focus on that. I'm, I'm happy with 15,000, and I'm assuming when the time is right, we'll get to more than that. We'll certainly ask for it once we show that we've done that safely. Uh, but, you know, always we've always been deferential to what's best for public health, and we'll continue to do that. Mark, what's your read on this team? You're, on, you, you know, as someone who's been a been a longtime baseball executive, been general manager, done the whole thing. What what's your read on this team? Well, let me let me first say that you know, like, if you gave any baseball executive truth serum, they wouldn't be able to answer that question because these jobs are about your professional warrior. So mm-hmm. we, we spend 90% of our time, Jeff, thinking about what's going to go wrong, not what is going right. Hmm. So, you know, the first things that come to mind are things I'm not going to say because I, I worry right. about a lot of the obvious things. Uh, but when I pull back and kind of reflect on the character of this team, the resilience of this team, the togetherness of this team. And I think about, man, like you just can't make it. They were playing major league games in Dunedin, Florida. Stop and think about that for a second with a hostile crowd that was heckling them night in, night out, and not one complaint, not one excuse. And then they just got up and moved their family to Buffalo, you know, and, you know, new city, new apartments, you know, new stadium, you know, yeah, a little bit better. It's got a second deck, not a third deck. The lights are a little higher. And, you know, our, our, you know, Marnie and our ops team did a phenomenal job at kind of making a nice clubhouse, but still Buffalo, not Toronto, and still minor league, you know, and again, no excuses, you know, no complaints. And we get here and, you know, the home run jacket comes out. that has got a, you know, totally organic, totally from them. You know, it, it's it's them having fun, but look beneath that. It's them celebrating the diversity in our clubhouse. How how perfect is that for this city? It's them celebrating the togetherness that they feel despite being from so many different places and backgrounds, not just countries, but, you know, areas within North America as well. Um, and I see special things. And, and I think, you know, when I, what gets me most excited 
that those special things don't have an expiration date that's two months away. Mm -hmm. And so um, I feel excited. Ross demonstrated that we will always feel a sense of urgency. Uh, But I also feel like, you know, this is going to be exciting for a while. And as these guys mature and grow uh, and continue to come into their own and we continue to add the right types of veterans around them, um, we've got a chance for a very special era of Blue Jay baseball, not a very special season. Okay, you, you talk about special things. When you were in Cleveland, you had some pretty good leadoff hitters uh, in your day in Grady Sizemore and Kenny Lofton. What do you see in George Springer? Spring is a totally different type of one. The uh, Probably the, the thing that you know, stands out is just selectively aggressive, you know, like he's not afraid. Um, you know, he's probably more in the modern mold of leadoff hitter, Kevin, where, you know, we're not quite thinking about speed in that spot the way we once were, um, you know, but he is that guy that, you know, look, you ultimately want your best hitter to hit more often. Mm-hmm. And we have our best guy, you know, arguably one of our two or three best guys that's going to hit more and can do some damage. So it's been fun to kind of watch him. I think it's a good example and a good reminder for all of us of just how hard it is to play this game, man. Like you can't, you no matter how physically gifted you are, no matter how hard you work and no matter how good a track record you have, you take away spring training, you drop a guy in, in the middle of a season and expect him to just perform at elite levels. That's just not, you know, that's just, not doable you start to see him round into shape and all of a sudden you see one of the best players in the game so uh, i'm just excited he gets to hit more and that's the way i look at leading off you know as opposed to maybe being a prototypical leadoff guy that kalo was and uh you know grady actually you know before he got you know, dealt with injuries he, he was almost a mike trout type player if you go back and look at the numbers pretty incredible uh your team this year uh, made, well, coming out of the All-Star break, your manager and the coaching staff made a pretty significant move with the with the order. And, you know, we've talked about George Springer going to the leadoff spot. Um, and, I, and I get, but there are players who will tell you that it really doesn't matter where I hit, same approach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to have, you know, to have your two young players, uh, your two of your young core players, one of them, Vladdy, go into the, go into the second spot, and Bo go down to the cleanup spot, and both, I think, respond pretty well. Um, you know, as, as as a baseball guy, that's just that's got to be a real source of pride to to know that you've got two young players who, you know, you you use the word resilient, but I I just think they're adaptable on the field too. Yeah, th- those two guys, you know, it's it been a great window. I mean, I'm also proud of the way Charlie and, and our staff and Gee and Hudge manage that because it's not, you, like you said, and Kevin can tell you more than me, like there's a mental side to mm-hmm. where you're hitting the order. You know, you can run math models all day long about, you know, lineup or leverage situations in the bullpen, but you're still dealing with human beings and people, and you can't just move guys and drop guys all around. There's, you know, you, you want to put them in a position to be successful. So that change was something I think we always thought about. The question was, when is the right time to do that um you know with george and you know it felt like charlie had the perfect feel for when that was going to happen and be but but you're right i mean listen to have those two guys in the middle of our lineup in key spots 
Um, you know, the two and the four being kind of, again, as you look at the modern game, you know, where two of the best hitters in your team always, you know, should be. And to see them perform, to watch, you know, Bo continue to get better, um, you know, it's pretty remarkable. From the time he was drafted, when people questioned whether he could play shortstop and then questioned his speed, um, which are, you know, speed is something you don't see often improve, to watching his development, you know, and his approach at the plate, um, becoming more and more dangerous of a hitter. Um, and, and Vladdy obviously having, you know, a season that is, I mean, geez, it's, it's, a you know, it's going to, it's going to go down as one of the better offensive seasons in, mm-hmm. in a decade, not, not just in a, in a season. With, with Alec Manoa, uh, there was concern that he didn't have, uh, the minor league in, innings under his belt. Why do you think he's transitioned so well to the big leagues? athleticism and competitiveness, Mm. you know, that, that for me, I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm a development guy. I was probably more worried than most about the path we were taking with him. Ross, you know, gave me all the information and the studies that these guys don't make any decisions lightly. They they spent a lot of time studying it and looked at other guys. And there were surprisingly a, a great number of guys that kind of had his background that made a similar transition. The ultimate decider for, for Ross and, you know, our development staff was he just wasn't getting challenged at AAA. You go back and look at what he was doing there. I mean, there was you know, not even a challenge. So the question is, do you leave him there not getting any growth or development in just to get innings, or do you start to have him come up here if you think he can handle it? And then I look at it up here, Kevin, and I, I see a couple things I just don't see with many young pitchers especially, and that is, you know, he'll make a bad pitch. Uh, but he has the ability to separate and distance from that pitch, come back and make an adjustment and make a, a good pitch and deliver with intent in the next pitch. And when I see that, I think about some of the great pitchers I've seen that can make adjustments from pitch to pitch, that can pitch with intent and purpose and not get too caught up in the moment. Um, athleticism is part of what allows someone to do that, but mental toughness and competitiveness. And I, I just, I love athletic competitive pitchers. I think we underestimate the importance of athleticism and pitchers. Um, and man, like the guys that compete, you know, you can just see a lot of guys out there sometimes with similar stuff and what separates out the guys that, you know, pitch a lot of innings year to year uh, and get deeper in game. I mean, I look, let's think about Robbie Ray the other day. I don't know whether you watched the game, but he definitely did not have his best stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely did not. If, if you had watched the first two innings and told me he was going to be six innings, two runs, I would have told you no way, no how. But you looked up and he just gutted his way into giving us better than a quality start. You know, mm-hmm. so um, And that to me is just his toughness. He just, you know, he was going to make sure he gave us a good outing that day. And, and uh, I see similar things in Alec Manoa, very different people, different, different side, you know, throwers. But, uh, you know, that competitiveness, I just think we underestimate that sometimes or we don't talk about that enough. Yeah, it was interesting hearing you hearing you use the word athleticism to to describe a pitcher. What 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 are yeah. what are the signs of athleticism in a pitcher? I like, assuming that, you know, every pitcher is an athlete. Yeah, I mean, but the, the simple, you know, like I think about a lot about CC Sabathia and like people just looked at him as like a big hard thrower and what I always was amazed with C was 
his ability to make adjustments within his delivery from pitch to pitch. So if he threw a ball arm side high, you know, he could figure out athletically what it was. And it's, I've, I've had conversations with Paul Quantrill in the past where he just, you know, Hey, you're, you're spiking the ball, you know, get it up. You know, it's like, and, and the, the things that allow a pitcher to do that are feel for his delivery, feel for his release point. I know those are like, you know, they may sound technical to someone that doesn't watch the game at a very close level, but you know, it's athleticism that allows a guy to figure out if he throws the guy ball arm side high, you know, how to get the ball opposite arm side and in on a, you know, in on a hitter, you know? So, um, you know, I think that, you know, that when I, when I talk about athleticism, I'm not talking about running and jumping and, and throwing. I'm talking about body awareness and the ability to make adjustments. You know, I, I, you guys made that significant deal at the trade deadline and getting Barrios. You gave up a couple of really highly touted prospects. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, Mark, if, you know, it seems to be you, you guys have, a, you guys are able to re-sign your own players. Once you get guys in here, it seems that guys, they, they like the city. They like the, the culture of the organization. They're pitchers. They, they really seem to like working with Pete. Was that... Was there a premium to pay to get a guy with a little bit of control so that you can maybe sell him on? Understanding everybody wants to get paid eventually, yeah. but when you get him in here, you it, he's basically yours for, what, 18 months or however long you have him to try to sell him on staying here. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 hard to get people to want to pitch in the AL East. You know, you're better off getting your own guys and developing mm-hmm. them. Once guys get to Toronto, I think that we become a you know a great choice that you know they 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 don't it's hard for them to understand and recognize just how special a place it is to play, um, and you know it's hard to get a top of the rotation starter. You, know, you can argue a one or a two, but certainly a top of the rotation guy. So um, those are trades where. Um, you know, you you can calculate surplus value and you may lose surplus value, but you don't make any trade usually when it's young players for, you know, for veteran players on a shorter time frame where you win surplus value. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to win, period. Right. It's to win. And, you know, I, you and I talked briefly behind home plate. It's not all we're making, we're mortgaging the future for now. And it's not all we're just taking care of the future it's a balance right so we've got a good farm system one we're excited about with a lot of other guys coming that are still really good and we traded two guys that were painful to trade yes we like those guys we didn't try to trick the twins you know Derek Fowley's a smart guy we work with him in Cleveland he knew what he was doing he got good guys but we got a top of the rotation starting pitcher for this year and next and yes, our goal would be to have him feel so good about being here that it's a relationship that we can continue for, for beyond that. And at the right time, that'll, those will be the conversations we have with him. Mark, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Uh, again, it's really good to have you guys home. Yep. And uh, we'll see you in the weekend. Thanks again. Thanks, great, Mark. Great. Look forward to it. Great to be back. Thanks, guys. Take care. That's Mark Shapiro, president and CEO of the Toronto Blues. I just hear all I hear him saying was win, win, and win some more. It's. It's uh, nice to hear that now. It is. It, it, can I say this? How nice was it to have, and, and Ross has said the same thing, but how nice was it to have an executive with the Blue Jays say that, you know, one of, it, it's hard to get guys to pitch here, not because it's Toronto, not because it's Canada, not because of taxation, not because of customs, but because it's the American yeah. League East. yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's high. It's hard to get guys in here because, you know, damn it, this is this is a hard, this is a tough ass division it to is. pitch in. Not and easy. and you know what? 
it got tougher at the trade deadline. It sure did. Because you brought in a lot of thumpers. You did. And I, that's, you know, I I I had someone someone uh send me I'm, I'm not going to say who. Well, it was just, it was a it was a listener. Someone sent me a DM today uh and said you know, hey, listen, I, I'm a big fan of Alex Anthopoulos, love the whole Canadian thing, but he said, you guys got to talk more about the job that Mark and Ross have done with the minor league system, and you got to talk more about, you know, he said the, the Canadian thing doesn't come up with them. It's all about American League East, and, you know, come to this division, you got to face the Yankees. You're going to uh-huh. face the Red Sox. It's viewed through a baseball perspective it's not viewed through a geographic perspective and that's i find that really and i'm I'm not taking anything away from alex but i'm saying that i don't mm-hmm. think we give these guys enough credit for how they have changed the discussion around this team yeah i know they've changed me in terms of how i discuss the blue jays on the air and in person, I don't use the whole Toronto, Canada thing anymore. Other than I say that there is a premium when you bring a free agent into Canada, there's a premium. But I've also got a when you're bringing a guy into the American League East, there might be a premium yeah, too. I, I think they've taken a step back and and noticed that they'd have something to build around in Bo and Vladdy, and, and let's not waste that and use that to the fullest. We, we can also have a really good minor sy- league system, but we do have and two superstars that we don't want to waste. And, and, and Mark made the point that I've tried to reinforce, and, and it was something, because a lot of people talked about 2015 and comparing the addition to David Price and all this stuff. My point was, this is so different. Like the, the 2015 team, they were on... It's not that they were on the way they were down, at the end. but they, 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 yeah, I'm not going to make it sound like they were pummel, yeah. pummel coming down, but you know what? They weren't going to be around for two or three years. Nope. This was your best shot with them. Mm-hmm. We saw that in 2016. We did. It was your, it was the kind of like the final shot with that mm-hmm. group. This group's not like that. Right. You know, knock on wood, they all stay healthy and, you know, depending on what the CBA should. And I mean, they're going to be here forever. And I know that the un, unstated thing in the back of a lot of people's minds is, well, at some point, these guys are going to get paid. All, all I will tell you is this front office and this ownership, I mean, they paid guys. Mm-hmm. The guys that they've wanted to keep, Josh Donaldson didn't leave because they weren't going to pay Josh Donaldson. They made a value. They made a decision that they could, that getting rid of Josh Donaldson and making some other moves would make them better two or three years down the road. Right. They, they just did. Mm-hmm. But they've paid when they've had to pay. They brought George Springer in. They bought Hyun Jin Ryu in. And I pointed someone the other day. There were years where you could not make a mistake like Tyler Chatwood mm-hmm. without having the whole damn thing fall apart. Yeah. And, that- and, and that, But that says another thing about a team's commitment when you can spend... Think of the money they spent on Kirby Yates and Tyler Chatwood, and guess what? It didn't work out. Yeah. But that's not because they were tight or cheap. That's because they acted like a lot of other baseball teams yeah. that make those decisions and don't have them work out. And instead of sitting there and whining, going, oh, my God, we spent this money in this, and mm-hmm. we can't fill this, we can't replace this. They didn't want God Adam Simber. Right. They didn't want God Trevor Richards. Just love, just love it that they see a need, they go out and get it. It's like the third base situation. It's like the catcher situation. They're going to fix it. 
Of like course they will. It's, it's right in front of them. If we know it, they know it. Of, of course they It's going to be fixed sooner of, than later. Of course they will. Yeah. And they're going to they'll try to fix it internally. And if that doesn't work, they'll pivot off there it. There you go. Uh, we are going to take a break and come back. Uh, 707 is the first pitch. We'll give you the lineups again, give you a little bit of news on the Red Sox as well as Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Alec Manoa gets a start tonight at 7.07 for the Toronto Blue Jays against Nathan Uvalde. Ben Wagner joins us in a few minutes from the broadcast booth at Rogers Center. Little snippets out of Charlie Montoyo's uh, pregame news conference today. He did say that he expects Adam Simber to get some more save opportunities. But uh, obviously they're not closing the door in Jordan Romano or anything. But um, I, 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 I also... Performance driven. It's performance-driven, and, uh, you know, one of the things with Simber is he, he will he will take the ball. He's not a guy that's going to go, eee. Don't have it tonight. Uh, this is the 10th career start for Alec Manoa. Um, it's the second at the Rogers Center, obviously. He had seven scoreless uh, in his last start. The first Blue Jays, 16th player all-time, with no earned runs in four of his first nine career starts. The first pitcher excluding openers in the modern era to allow four or fewer hits in each of his first nine career starts. Now think about that. Think about, think about the era mm. we're in now in baseball. Uh, he's got 56 Ks. Righties are hitting 125 off him. That's second best in the majors, only behind Heath Embry, who's, who's a reliever. Um, Mark made a uh, – use the word athleticism to describe him. Yeah. And you know, we, if you say to someone, so-and-so is a great pitcher, they'll go, well, he's got great stuff and he's got demeanor and all that – but there is an athletic aspect to there's an an athletic aspect to everything baseball players do. But there really is. You know, I love the way uh, uh, Mark sort of used CC Sabathia as a reference point because mm-hmm. CC Sabathia was a great athlete, big man too, big like man. Alec Manoa is big man. Well, he mentioned he mentioned moves, Rob, moves differently for a big man. He mentioned Robbie Ray too. When when you don't have your best stuff, you don't have your best pitch, you don't have your fastball command. Can you get through it? A couple of innings till you find mm. your best pitch. That that stuff. And Alec, you're seeing a little a little bit of that. That's what it is. The mechanics thing of you've thrown enough that you know when it's not going right what it feels like yeah. to find it in a hurry. That's what I went through and I didn't correct it quick enough. The, the the guys that can correct it in a hurry are the ones that stay in the big leagues forever. And you just love the way he he'll give up a hit and he turns the page in a hurry. Yeah, this is he'll, his... he'll attack right after a, another pitch like that, and it's. He was, come around every day. he was awfully good uh, the last time he faced the Red Sox in Boston, in Fenway Park. Uh, that was June 14th. Uh, the Jays lost 2-1. Six innings, four hits, one earned run, five Ks, one walk. Uh, no, and this is the number that jumps out to me right away, no home runs. Yeah, well, he, th- he throws t- two fastballs and a slider about 90% of the time. And he'll, he'll sprinkle in occasionally a changeup. And and that K that that slider that he strikes out about he he strikes out his batters about forty percent of the time on the slider because he's got two different ones. It's odd. It's odd. I'm just looking at these numbers. He's given up eight home runs, three to the Marlins in a start, four to Baltimore. Seven seven of them have come in come in in, in two games. You know it is a, it weird. is a small sample size. But yeah. if you if you're molding an American League East pitcher, hearing the way Mark 
talked about how hard it is to get free agents to come here. If you drafted a guy, he big, bulky, don't care if he gives up a hit, don't care if he throws at somebody, he'll throw his glove down like he did mm -hmm. and basically draw a line and say, come out here and get you some kind of the American League East way. That's yeah. that's sort of what they're looking for a little bit. Of, I said this 2015, 2016, the Blue Jays were intimidating to play. Yes, they're, they were. They're trying to get a little of that. And Alec Mendoza is a little intimidating. I don't know about you, but when you're watching him, he sort of beats the guy on the on-deck circle before he gets to the plate. And having that little element to it in the American League East is, is only going to suit him well down the stretch. Yeah, he's 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 physically imposing. Like he he, he's a big he's a big man. Yeah, he just thinks you can't hit him, which I that's what I like. I like that. He got a good slider. He knows it. He got a strike one slider. He knows it. He's got a, he's 93 plays more. You yeah. see, he's, he's, it's like Jordan Romano. We saw the one, two fastball Mercado hit the, that was a hundred miles an hour. That's a ball elevated that he pulled. Yeah. Is it? Is I still, it, I went back and looked at it. I still got to figure that out. hundred to a hitter. That's the thing. Yeah. Some guys that throw a hundred sometimes as a hitter don't look a hundred. Well, Alec Manoa's 93 seems to the way they swing at it, the way they take it plays a little higher than 93, 94. Ben Wagner is the radio voice of the Blue Jays. He'll join us next from the booth. This is Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I feel good. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't feel like if I say I feel 100%, I'd be lying. I, I'm not feeling 100%, but I'm good, uh, good enough to go on there and compete every day. All right, that is the voice of Hector LeBron, who does a terrific job um, interpreting... For Vladdy Guerrero Jr. That was an answer to a question. Of course, Vladdy got the day off. God's already running together. And they give him the day off. Sunday? Sunday. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, they gave him Sunday, uh, the day off. Uh, and uh, at that point, he, Simeon, Bo, and the three dudes in Kansas City, and I think uh, Dansby Swanson were the only players in the majors to have played mm -hmm. in all their games. By the way, you know, a little aside here, I understand he hasn't caught all those games. But for Sal Perez to That's be one of the – in Kansas City, where yeah. – Hot. 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 Stinking hot. It's super hot. So anyhow, that, but that, I, I had to double-check that when, when I saw that. Yeah, you got to remember, too, that Vladdy, this is the first complete season he's going to be at the big league level, 162-game season. It's like goes through that. You have to maintain and make adjustments of what you're doing off the field when, with your routines, how many yeah. swings you take in the cage, when you know to take a day off. When it comes to your routines and all those things, he he's 22. He's learning on the fly. Yeah, no, it's uh, and, and you know, we mentioned that on the weekend. Charlie said, "Hey, there are three guys I talk to every day about that, mm -hmm. and that's Simeon, Bo, and and Vladdy. And yeah, good and Vladdy for being. Well, we talked about this with Tony Gwynn Jr. about Fernando Tatis, right? Yeah. You got it. Sometimes you gotta you gotta reel it in just a bit. But good and Vladdy for being comfortable enough." Uh, comfortable enough to say that. And See, again, I, and I can't, I can't, I, I will, I know I'm going to be repeating myself about this, but when I look at what we were thinking and saying about Vladdy coming out of summer camp last year, he's heavy. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to play defense for him. All the stuff that we were saying, and that, I'm not, I'm not getting into the whole point about some people thought he'd be a superstar. Some people thought he'd just be an, an okay player. I honest to God, I mean, I'll put my hand up and admit, I, I didn't think he was going to be a superstar. I thought he's going to be a very good player, mm -hmm. all that stuff. But I, 
I didn't think Triple he, crown thing? You didn't think, I didn't think he was going to make a run be, at that? He wasn't going to be his daddy. You didn't think so? I didn't think he was going to be his daddy. But the fact that he is, you know, in soccer, they have a phrase, an ever-present, a guy who is there, or in the case of our women's team, a, 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 a female athlete, a woman, a woman soccer player who is there every mm-hmm. day, that is really something. And yeah, I don't, I don't think we don't, I don't think we talk enough about Vladdy in that, that regard. Let's bring in Ben Wagner from the uh, broadcast booth. Ben, thanks. Thanks for joining Kevin and myself again. You know, we were just talking, we replayed a clip from, um, from Hector LeBron. And I think we're all three of us, Kevin and Ben, we're, we're kind of on the, the same page here. Like I didn't, I, I didn't think Vladdy would be an everyday guy. Not not this year. I, I I thought, or even last year, I thought there would be days where he'd just have to have days off because I just thought he would. I didn't think he was up to it. And I don't think I've ever been as wrong about a dude's physical conditioning as I am about Vladdy Jr. It's interesting because if you think back to 2019, we heard some of the, the vernacular that goes along with big body guys, right? Like mm-hmm. load management, we're going to give him a day. Um, we're going to keep him off his feet, right? Those little things were connected to the absence of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the lineup. And then you wondered if he was going to need that on his own, by his own doing, in the 2020 season. And that's where a lot of the a lot of the honesty for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. started to swell out, first and foremost, to himself, right? I mean, the guy had to look himself in the mirror. And then he had to go to his teammates, and we know the story, right? He apologized to his teammates. He vowed to get better during that season, and he did. And now he is the, he is the single most important person to this turnaround because he did it himself, and yeah. he gets all the credit. Okay, how about the guy that plays shortstop? Right? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm surprised of the numbers that he's putting up, but I, I, I think I'm surprised that there's more in the tank. Are you with me on that with Boba Shit? Yeah, I he am. I, more. I didn't think that swing was going to play as as much as it has at the major league level, especially early in at-bats, you know, with that big late kick, mm-hmm. the big swing, and all-out tilt. Now, Bo will tell you, well, you know, even if I make contact, it's the same swing. It looks bad when I miss, but it looks good when I connect. And he teed off on a hanging slider last night, and that's the exact swing. I thought maybe that would get exposed by major league pitching, but the guy can hit. And he can rake. Um, I I am really, really impressed with what we're seeing with these guys getting their first run at 162. But, you know, Barker made a point uh, early in the show as well. When you look at Bose, when you look at his numbers off the fastball, his batting average against yeah. the fastball, slugging off the fastball, there, there's room for everybody to grow in this team, I think, mm-hmm. all those young guys. But I don't know if you agree with me this, Ben, but I think maybe Bo is a little farther away from his ceiling than Vlad is from his ceiling. Yeah. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but I, I, I really do believe that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of the focus gets put on offense. But for Bo and his position, it also has to include defense mm. for me. So that... That also, with the combination, will take me further away from that ceiling, right? We've seen Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The guy's got a legitimate shot to win a triple crown, let alone 
uh, make a run at an MVP, but we're not even really questioning anything he does defensively. No, I don't worry anymore when the ball comes to him. Right? I, I don't no. care. I don't worry when it's throwing, hit, or roll to him. It does not matter to me. No, he's been impressive. He's very athletic, and of course, now we've we've seen it. He's very durable. Whether he's doing the splits three times a game, or digging balls out, or rumbling down the line trying to make over-the-shoulder catches, uh, for Bo, that's where the growth is. You know, going to continue, and he needs to get better defensively if he's going to continue to be a shortstop. And then what is that bat going to be? I mean, really, what is this bat going to be? Is he going to be a guy that hits for the high average? Because we've seen him hit for average. We know he can hit for pop. Is he going to be a guy that drives in 40 home runs and flirts with 85 or 100 ribbies every year? He'll be a 40-40 guy. Oh, <laughs> he may that's be. a lot, that's a lot his, to ask. Well, I mean, but you know what? Yeah, that's I know. the Our thing fir- with Bo. Pardon me, 30-30. 33, but yeah. 30-30 is attainable. He's got 17 stolen bases, and I talked with him shortly after they returned to Rogers Center. I asked him again uh, because I'm so intrigued by his moments that he decides to run, the conversations that he ha- that he has off of the first base coach's box with Mark Budzinski, and he's got the timer. He knows the stopwatch. Bud gets in his ear with certain guys, and of course he, there's a little inkling right on a guy that you can run on, but Bo's got the explosiveness with those first couple of steps. And maybe that's the bigger surprise for me of how good his legs have been. 17 for 17, swiping bags. He's got a legitimate shot at 30-30. Man, this is a great problem to have. But do you have any feel on what they're going to do with the rotation? It's a good problem to have, absolutely. And I tried to get a little bit of information on that, knowing that within the next week, the Blue Jays are going to have to decide who to drop. Ross Stripling, who pitched again another great game and looks like he found another pitch because that changeup was outstanding yeah or is it going to be steven matz you know who's a bulldog and really hasn't made that transition in his career i don't know that the answer has been decided yet i really don't i think a week ago they were probably leaning one way and that would be ship steven matz off to the bullpen but matz continues to get better every time he takes the ball now further and further away he gets from the the covid il list yeah um I think it might just be on the outside an easier move to put Ross Stripling back in the bullpen, but I really got the feel that that decision has not been made yet. Talking yeah, it's with a, some people today. It's a classic decision, right? In that you look at it, and the you know the the most comfortable move would be to put Ross in there, but it may not be the best move tactically for you. The one thing I was really impressed with, and and maybe I'm reading too much into it. But the way Ross handled that question yesterday about it and essentially said, well, I've, you know, I've done it before. I, it, it, I, I didn't expect him to say, no, nah, I'm a starter. But you really kind of got the sense that if it is going to be an issue, it's not going to be created by him. And, and that right now he's embracing the competition, I, I think, more. And that's if you're Ross Stripling, that's probably the right way to look at it because – the other thing I think about, my goodness, when you look at when you look at what this guy has done mid-season, like we talked about the change Jordan Romano's made. When you look at what this guy has done in season, like at some point, if I'm an organization, I've almost got to honor the commitment he's made to that change, and maybe stick with him as a starter because he's he's you know he he he's done the thing he really needed to do to stake a claim to that job. It's a great listen. It's a great it's a great. It's a great situation to have. It's a great debate to have, and it's a whole hell of a lot better than having to decide whether or not a guy's healthy, right? If it's a matter of competition and performance, you'll take that. You'll take having to make that decision any day if you're a manager. 
And you know why it has to be made? Because they upgraded the pitching staff overall. Right. You bring in Jose Barrios, not somebody like Thomas Hatch, where you're trying to kind of piece it together again and fill four or five innings, and you don't you go into every start not having answers, right? You don't know if Thomas Hatch is going to stay durable and stay healthy coming off the injury. He's been a little inconsistent. You haven't seen any consistency from Anthony Kay in any role that he's had. So there are a lot more questions and tougher decisions now that will better serve this baseball team with the situation that they're in versus where they were 10 days ago. Uh, Vladdy got hit on the hand last night. He's okay, right? Good to go. Good to go. Talk to Vladdy about two things specifically. He got hit on the hand, and that was on the back of the pad of the left hand. And remember, when Zimmer cracked that ball down to first base, it also ricocheted off his bare hand in the first inning yesterday. So I asked him about both hands. He's fine. He was very scared. He heard the impact, that big thud. Uh, like we all did, and collectively we held our breath, right? Because of the way he reacted was scarier than the actual impact itself. And I thought he really got cracked. And it was similar to what happened in 2019 when Garrett Cole hit him in Houston, yeah. and he missed a couple of days. But the good news is he's worn the pad since on the left hand. He's okay. And the ball that hit him with the bare hand uh, got him on that meaty part right underneath the thumb, so he's good to go. And I'll tell you what, the other thing, you know, I watched it on TV, and it sounded on TV, I, I don't know what it sounded like in the stadium, obviously, it sounded bad in TV, but the other thing I look at when that happens is I looked at the pitcher, and you know Brian, you know what Brian Shaw's about enough to know that he's not a guy that's going to come in and try to, try to in, intentionally injure one of the best players of the game. And when I saw his reaction, I thought, okay, that's what scared me when I, when I see the pitcher react the way he did. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's, I mean, it's a scary situation, right? So what did it sound like in the ballpark in my headset and just, you know, <laughs> scary. That's what it sounded like. It sounded scary. Any any one thing that surprised you or you're happy that you didn't know about Alec Manoa? Yeah, his last start because he <laughs> did not have his good stuff in his last start and he figured it out. That was a grinding start. His velo was down. The slider didn't have the shape. It didn't have that wipeout action that he used it to dominate a couple of other major league lineups. And against, of course, a lesser lineup, sure. But he figured it out, and he figured out a way to get his ball club deep into a ball game. That showed a lot of maturity. In my opinion, a pitching maturity out on the mound where he found a rhythm on a day where he didn't have great command, didn't have his A stuff in, left a lot of kind of the tools, so to speak, in the box back in the dugout and he was just left out there on the island to figure it out that that was a telltale sign so i'm looking forward to the start tonight yeah we when we talked yesterday about the closer situation and we talked about adam simber coming out to close the game and of course we saw that we also saw rafael dolis warm up i'm gonna ask you the same question i asked bark like i don't want to be that guy who always harps on velocity because I, i i don't think i necessarily do can you can you win in the AL East with Adam Simber closing out games for you? You can because of the way he's doing things. Watch okay. it right-handed and left-handed for me. A lot of guys, especially with this different arm angle, he's different for the Blue Jays, but he's also different for a lot of the American League East lineups that he's going to have to face if he is going to be the anointed closer and go after those final three outs one he can get right-handed hitters out he pounds the strike zone but it's the way that he attacks the lefties guys shy away if you're you know kind of funky delivery usually you shy away from going in on left-handed hitters 
somehow he has found a knack on that release point to keep things moving up and in and, and reversing the angle, if you will. I talked with somebody in the dugout about that specifically earlier today, and that is something that they believe in will benefit the Blue Jays if Simber can continue this trend. They, they think they've really got something with Adam Simber here and the fact that he's durable, where yeah. you can lean on him a little bit and get him out there for multiple games in a series. And if the Blue Jays are fortunate enough to get to a playoff position, they know they're going to have him more times than he would be unavailable with the way that the schedules are going to lay out. Yeah, part of me almost wondered if you, you don't have a role where you, you almost have tandem closers where Romano is your guy, but on nights he can't go, Simber's your guy, or... Again, depending on how the game plays out, maybe you've got a night where if Romano starts to scuffle you, maybe you get Simber in there. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that that's kind of where we're going with it, uh, where where Adam Simber is, is going to be sort of closer 1B or, or 1A or however you want to just however you want to describe it. But yeah, it's a fight. I, look, I, I saw the guy pitch a couple of times on TV when the Jays got him. When they did get him, I thought, okay, this is kind of neat. The guy's got a funky arm angle, but I did not expect this. Like, I mean, there is no hard contact out of him. No, and I, I asked Charlie Montoyo yesterday, I said, is Adam Simber and what he's been available for you surprised you? And he said, I like the look. That's not surprising. That's something that they talked about, right. changing the look, getting different guys in that bullpen. So you have to change what you're doing, and you're putting – other things in the batter's mind, even before they get into the batter's box, and they're they're soaking up video on the dugout. They're they're talking about different things. You're trying to keep the opponent on their toes, but more than anything, this guy goes out there and throws strikes, and it's really relaxing for Charlie Montoyo to give the baseball to the guy. Ben, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, look forward to your call tonight. I'll see you down at the park Have tomorrow. Have fun, Sounds man. Great. Thank you. Talk to you in ten minutes. Take care. That's Ben Wagner. He is our Blue Jays radio voice on Sportsnet 590. The fan 707, Alec Manoa against Nathan Uvalde. The lineups for the Boston Red Sox. Kike Hernandez is in center. It'll be Verdugo in left. Martinez at DH. Bogarts at short. Devers at third. Renfro in right. Gonzalez at second. Vasquez behind the plate. Cordero at first. And we mentioned Nate Uvalde. Uh, Nathan Uvalde, pardon me, will be on the mound um, for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, it'll be Springer DHing, Guerrero at first, Semyon at second, Bichette at short, Teoscar in right, Gurion left, Alejandro Kirk behind the plate, Randall Gritchick in center, Bravik Valera at third base, Alec Manoa will pitch. And we mentioned before that uh, Jaron Duran, uh, the Red Sox prospect, has been put on the He's on the COVID IL right now. It could just be uh, with symptoms. If he tests negative, he'll probably be off in time to play in the doubleheader tomorrow. And, uh, well, I mean, Bark, we mentioned this. Again, I'll just give you the pitching matchups. Manoa Yavaldi, tough. Robbie Ray against Nick Pavetta. Got to like that favor in the Jays. Barrios against Tanner Houck. Mm. He's their top prize. He's he's a good-looking pitcher. Jose Brios. So, so is Brios. Brios is good. And then the finale on Sunday, Ryu against Garrett Richards. I mean, take advantage of the Red Sox. Now the rotation's in a bit of disarray. Martin Perez was just moved to the bullpen today. Yeah, they're going to get Chris Sale back at some point. But Yeah, control your adrenaline. On some young guys in playoff hunts against a really good team at home. Control your adrenaline. Uh, you ha- you string together that lineup, some, some quality at-bats back-to-back. Uh, give that pitcher some breathing room. And... 
Let him go out there and do his thing so he can navigate through a lineup. So what you have to do against this team. You got to navigate mm-hmm. through it. You got to be able to throw strike one. You got to be able to throw a quality expanded strike two pitch against a good Devers with a runner on second base when it matters. And give give these guys some breathing room and control that adrenaline. And I'm I'm gonna say it. I've been saying it all year. I think the 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 Blue Jays just have a better team than mm-hmm. the Red Sox all around. Now the Red Sox got a, a pretty good uh, bullpen. Maybe a yeah, little bit back better end than the of that bullpen, I But think the rotation is... right now is really good. They're better than the Red Sox, and the lineup for me is relentless. And if they can string together some quality at bats, well, you got you got a hurt. Or a, 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 you got Xander Bogarts playing hurt. You got a slumping JD Martinez. This might be a good time. Tip might be a good time to uh, get the Red Sox. And you're at home. Home. And you're home. Home. Absolutely. Home. And if you're going to the game tonight, you're going to the game in the weekend. And have it was fun. only like fifteen thousand. Be loud. Have fun. Be yeah. loud. Don't forget the last time the Jays. Played the Red Sox. They were in Buffalo, and it was like, it was it was it was a home game for Toronto only only in the schedule. It was cheering for Bo to get out in the ninth inning. Yeah, that was not good. No, that was not never. Good. No, and there was uh, I didn't realize this because we didn't hear it enough. But you talk to some of the Jays players when they were in Dunedin. Now yeah, it was worse because there was a lot of heckling. Yeah, there was a lot like that. You, you know, I had one player tell me you could hear everything that was said. Yeah, in Dunedin. So anyhow. Have fun. Enjoy the baseball this weekend. Should be terrific. We'll be back on Monday. Ben Wagner will have the call of the game next. Thanks for listening to Baseball Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.